Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you as always for joining me. I am back just in time for a very weird week in the NFL season. Today is going to be uh, the first of two podcasts this week. Trying to get a guest for the later on, we will see what happens. But right now, I just want to go over everything that's happened this week so far in the NFL. And, you know, obviously the Patriots were on a buy. So things are a little different from when we went into the buy. I also took a buy week. I went home to Massachusetts and spent time with family for the holidays. I never travel at the week of Christmas, usually because one or the both of us here are working. So, and it's like just insanely, it's just much cheaper and much easier to not travel for the actual week of Christmas. So we flew home and did like nine days in Massachusetts, did family Christmas with my mom and my sisters. It was awesome. I treated it like Christmas vacation, ate and drank, and was merry, of course, got to see some friends uh, with COVID starting all back up again. We're all being pretty careful, but, but I still got some good friend and family time. And that was awesome. I am in like full senioritis mode. I don't know if you guys get like this at the holidays, but I just feel like it's school vacation again. And now that the weather in Los Angeles is getting colder and feels more like winter. Like I have the heat on in my house now. So I'm getting cozy. I have my cable knit sweater and, oh, I'm drinking, um, a homemade green juice because I'm detoxing from said trip. And I have my slipper socks on. I got these from my mom. I asked for them specifically because I have the coldest feet in the world. I'm always freezing. I have hands, my hands and feet are always cold. I have something called Raynaud syndrome, which is just like poor circulation to the extremities. So I'm one of those people that's always freezing and fun little fact, my fingers will discolor when they get cold because the blood doesn't go there. So they get purple, but not painful. Luckily, just really cold. Uh, anyways, I, the point of that rant was to tell you that I'm cozy. I'm settled in and I'm ready to talk about what's been going on in the NFL, what's going on with the Patriots. This is going to be a little bit of a quick hits podcast. I just want to go through kind of rapid fire, some things that people are talking about that I want to hit on. I put out a tweet a few hours prior to recording to ask if anyone had questions. There were a few people who did. So I will hit on those topics specifically. They were all very good ones. So we're just going to get started and I might as well kick things off with the game that happened with the Buccaneers losing to the Saints for the fourth time. Hot stuff coming up. Tom Brady still has not beat the Saints since he became a Buccaneer and it's starting to seem problematic. Now in the game on Sunday night, the Saints were missing their head coach. Sean Payton. So defensive coordinator Dennis Allen stepped in to take over. And it it was kind of wild to watch because it was the perfect storm for Brady. Again, Brady and the Bucks don't have a great history with the Saints, so they have not heard, earned the benefit of the doubt in those matchups. But it could not have been worse timing for them. Chris Godwin gets hurt. He's torn his ACL. He's out for the year. So they lose him in the game. They lose Mike Evans. They go into it, obviously, without Antonio Brown. So he's missing a lot of his weapons. And on the other side of the ball, Dennis Allen has his defense ready to go. They were, they played their best game of the season, in my opinion. It was one of the best tackling performances I've seen all year. It seemed like they were everywhere. They were so fast, making every, all those little tackles you see guys miss, 
game after game over the course of a season, just the like near misses, grabbing the ankles, they step over or they, they nick them and, but they still, the, you know, the player still gets a few yards. None of that was happening. These were full form, perfect. You could teach these in film classes on how to tackle tackles. And Tom Brady was frustrated all game. Um, and as he tends to do, there's like a one or two games a year where you see pissy Tom Brady come out. And as a lifelong New England fan, I know what that looks like. Sometimes it's whining to the refs. Sometimes it's shit talking with the players. And last night it was sort of all of the above. He got into it with Dennis Allen after throwing an interception. He ran and fumbled the ball. He got into it with refs. As I said, he even threw his Microsoft surface on the sideline, a la Belichick. Very familiar move. I loved it. Um, I love pissy Tom Brady. And I'm not saying that uh, condescendingly or sarcastically in any way, shape or form. I think that the reaction when Tom Brady gets mad on the field, and it's been like this for a long time, you know, even going back to the sort of notorious fights with Bill O'Brien on the sideline back when he was the offensive coordinator for the Patriots, him yelling at his wide receivers on the field, this stuff has been going on forever. But the best thing about pissy Tom Brady is that once the game is completely over, once he's out of the out of the press conferences and things like that, it's just over. He doesn't carry it over. He doesn't throw his teammates under the bus. He doesn't whine. After the fact, he'll be short with the media, but he doesn't really, it's very concentrated to the emotions in the game and immediately after the game. And if he does hold grudges, they aren't our business, right? Like he just keeps that in his own little uh, voodoo doll bag of tricks for when he has to get motivated in the playoffs or whatever. But for the most part, it's just him getting really worked up. And there's always these reactions after these games from media and fans. It's like classic Tom Brady. Here he goes. He's whining and complaining because he doesn't get what he wants. And it's like, are we the same group of people, the same group of American media and fans who salivated over every detail of M Michael Jordan being an absolute psychopath for 15 years in the NBA. Are we the same people that just that spent all of early quarantine obsessing over the last dance and memeing the shit out of every salty little thing that Michael Jordan said? Are we the same people who signed off on him punching teammates and taught and doing all kinds of psychotic shit to the people he played with? And we're going to get mad because Tom Brady's shit talking coaches and referees on it. This is ridiculous. This is the price you pay for getting to watch a goat. They are maniacally competitive. They're maniacally competitive. They get mad when they lose and when they're made to look stupid, when they can't step up and do what they want to do. Like everybody does it. And when they don't, a lot of times we tell them that they're boring. So I don't know. It doesn't, it just doesn't affect me too much. I do think that the Buccaneers being without Chris Godwin moving forward is going to be an issue. Listen, the Bucks defense isn't as good as they were last year. They still did pretty well against the Saints last night. Hard to lose a game where you keep the other team to nine points, but they managed to do it. It's still an anomaly. I do still feel like they are contenders, but we will get into a little bit more about who is and is not a contender later on in the podcast. On the same line of Pissy Brady, let's just go, get right into the Patriots and their loss to the Colts. And we'll just get it right out of the way, okay? Bill Belichick was also pissy after his loss. He actually apologized to media on Monday for how he behaved after the loss on Thursday night 
telling them he felt like he couldn't really assess the game until he'd watched film. There wasn't, it wasn't their fault. He was just crap, you know, crappy and, and pissy about it. And that's great. Good for Belichick for acknowledging that. I don't know that anybody really needed um, the apology, just kind of anybody who's interviewing Belichick in a post-game press conference at this point knows what they're in for. But at the end of the day, I, I do think that there is something to be said for acknowledging the fact that he didn't provide any insight after the game. And this is a big loss at a crucial time in the season and people deserve to know what he's thinking. So I don't know if seeing Tom Brady lose his shit on Sunday night prompted Belichick to maybe do some introspection. Who knows? Um, my mom posited that to me. She's like, do you think he saw Tom? Who knows? Wouldn't rule anything out at this point, but let's talk about that loss. The big thing coming out of the Patriots loss to the Colts was, is this an indication that the Patriots are more pretenders than they are contenders. The pre great pretender versus contender conversation after a big loss. We all do it. We're doing it to the Bucs. We're doing it to the Patriots. We did it to the Bills after they lost to the Patriots. Let's just look at the situation for what it is. And let's find out if we actually learned that much or saw something we didn't expect on Thursday night against the Colts. First of all, the Patriots had a poorly timed bye. Let's just put it out there. I'm not saying that they should have played better off the bye. They should have. Uh, again, rookie quarterback hasn't dealt with this kind of thing. They had all the momentum after those seven wins in a row coming out of the Bills game. They were on fire. It was a really bad time to have to take a bye. Ideally, they would have had it earlier in the season and they'd be able to continue to roll right off of that momentum out of Buffalo and into Indianapolis. They didn't. In the middle of the holiday season, they have their bye. This is a team that, again, a lot of the players are young. They're still figuring out how to keep everything going, especially when they're all of a sudden media darlings, they're darlings of the AFC. They've got the number one seed. This is a lot. And you learn a lot about yourself. I have a feeling that there were players on that team that were disappointed with what happened because they know how important it is, how crucial it is to keep the momentum going after a bye week. Players like Devin McCourty, who had an extremely good game against the Colts. Disappointment, sure. I know Jamie Collins said he thinks that he thinks that they ate a little bit of humble pie after that. Again, it's frustrating to hear that anybody on the team would have felt like they needed to eat humble pie. Um, this is a team that was exceeding expectations and probably should have tried to keep themselves in the underdog role, but that is hard. They were missing Damian Harris and they got behind early. How many times have we talked about this? I will say it until I am blue in the face. This team, this team is defense and the run game. This team is defense and the run game. This team is defense and the run game. Add, sprinkle in a little bit of Nick Folk, sprinkle in a little bit of Jake Bailey. And those are the people that the Patriots need to succeed on a high level every single game if they are going to win. So they lose Damian Harris. The run game is not as potent. The, the run defense against Jonathan Taylor wasn't great. They actually, in general, the defense wasn't nearly as bad as maybe the whole game would indicate. I thought that they played pretty well, especially in the second half. We all knew that Carson Wentz was going to throw an interception. He did. The thing is, you have to be able to capitalize on it. And the Patriots got into it. this situation that they've been trying to avoid all season. The situation I've been telling you they'd want to avoid all season, which is they had to have Mac throw too much. Mac had to throw 45, 46 times. And that's just, they're not going to win games like that against good teams. They're not going to. And it's not a Mac thing. It is a it is a team thing. I mean, yeah, technically it's a Mac thing, but again, it's not Mac specific. It's rookie QB specific. If you need your rookie quarterback to throw 45 times to win a game, you're probably not going to win it unless something really goes wrong for the other team, unless they make some really insane mistakes. 
And Mac really needs the balance of the run game in order to succeed at his highest level as a passer. Having said that, the second half of his game and his ability to stay in it mentally was really impressive. There are going to be games like the game Mac had against Indianapolis for rookie quarterbacks every season, more than one. Mental mistakes, issues with timeouts, uh, bad sacks, bad throwaways. That stuff is going to happen. The question is, is your quarterback going to start to lose themselves, start to lose their focus while that's happening? And Mac, to his credit, didn't lose his shit. He kept it together. He, this goes back to the things he's been good at since he began this season. He's very mentally and emotionally capable of bouncing back in a way that is really impressive for someone so young. He showed a tiny little glimpse of what might become that clutch gene that we talk about with certain players. The gene that makes you worried to be in the last few minutes of a game with a seven point lead, one possession lead against them. Mac is showing that he might have that. Obviously time will tell, but right now I'm actually pretty impressed with how he was able to bounce back considering the things that weren't going right for him in that first half. And even some of the things in the second half, the run D was struggling with Jonathan Taylor, not seriously impressed by Carson Wentz in any way, shape or form. I don't know if other people are seeing things I'm not seeing. Um, He's been better than I thought he would be for the Colts, but considering how strong the rest of their team is, I still see him as a weakness. I still see the Colts as a team. I'd be happy for the Patriots to face in the, in the playoffs. I'm, they don't worry me at all. Am I disappointed that the Patriots lost that game considering how winnable it was? Sure. I talked a little about this on Twitter. This is a, uh, an issue with moving the goalposts for teams like the Patriots across the course of the season. They go into the season and everybody's like, I'll be happy with 10 and seven. They've got a rookie quarterback, blah, blah, blah. That's what we're, we're all saying. 10 and seven. Holy crap. That would be amazing. Then all of a sudden they win these seven games in a row and they are the number one seed in the AFC and everybody's talking about them as Super Bowl favorites. And that was, that's great. And I still think the Patriots are strong contenders to make a deep playoff run because of the situation in the AFC and the fact that most people are in a similar boat. They have one or two pretty obvious weaknesses that can be exploited, but like we moved the goalpost too far. Like this is a game when you got a rookie quarterback and you're in a, you're sort of in a new era of your team. It's a week by week thing. And so it's important that you look at what the team is and whether or not they, they got away from what they are in a loss. If you're worried that they can't do the things that they were good at all season, their defense is still elite. Their run game is still strong. Maybe it's not as strong without Damian Harris shock their best running back. They need him to really help that offense. I don't think anybody is arguing that the offense can really sustain itself through a deep playoff run without the run game playing their best. No one's thought that all season when people were saying that they were Super Bowl favorites. It was under the terms of Damian Harris and the run game really being able to carry the offense. Um, That's still in play. If Damian Harris is healthy, That is still in play. If he's not, they need someone to be the Damian Harris. If there is not someone who can do that, who can step up and be that, then yeah, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle to score points. But the more balanced that offense is, the more likely it is that Mac Jones is going to be able to make the three, four, five, six plays a game that really stand out that are the difference between winning and losing for the offense. Nothing has changed. We didn't learn anything new about the Patriots. All we learned was what we thought their weaknesses were are still their weaknesses. 
And so going into the game against the Bills, I still think the same thing I thought when after the after the win. The only difference is it's a reminder that the, there's a ton of parity in the AFC and that well-prepared coaches are going to know how to exploit the Patriots' weaknesses. Frank Reich got a Damian Harris-less team, and he got a defensive interior that he knew he could exploit with his running back, and he did that. Round two against Belichick, would I bet on the Colts? No, especially not in Gillette in the elements. I know Carson Wentz is a Dakota boy and fancies himself someone who can play outside, but I can tell you right now, I would love to see Carson Wentz in some weather with his uh, inability to make it through a whole game without making a bad play. The most dangerous thing about the Colts right now is that outside of the intermittent Carson Wentz blips, they have a great turnover ratio. I think they have the best turnover differential in the league right now. And that always portends a potential deep playoff run. Listen, the Patriots are set up pretty well here. They're going to make the playoffs. Boom. They're already exceeding expectations. They're making a playoff run with their rookie quarterback. They have one of the best defenses in the league. Great. Again, already setting themselves up for success. They have a reliable kicker already setting themselves up for success. So can they patch the holes and make it work? Well, look at the rest of the AFC. The bills are fallible. The chiefs are fallible. The Colts are fallible. The Steelers are fallible. The Titans are fallible. The whole AFC North is fallible. Who, who is it that is such a threat that you would ever consider the Patriots to be pretenders? Bet Online has you covered all season for more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. The Chiefs could barely beat the Chargers. They tried to lose that game about seven times. The Steelers won a really ugly game against the Titans. The Ravens almost beat the Packers with a bunch of their backups. So let's be honest. This is anyone. This is anyone's year. This is anyone's year. There is not one team in the NFL that looks like they could steamroll their way to the playoff through the playoffs. Not one. The Chiefs are the number one seed and they, they, that it makes sense, right? Because they have Patrick Mahomes, they have Andy Reid, they have a, a team in place that has been to multiple Super Bowls. They've been in the last three AFC championship games. So the steadiness is going to get you through a tough season, but that offense is still struggling and no disrespect to the Chiefs defense. They've been incredible and they've really stepped it up, but that is not a complex defense. It's difficult to figure out. So you run into a Bill Belichick or John Harbaugh or Mike Tomlin, somebody with a lot of playoff experience who's seen this team a ton. I'm not sure Spagnuolo is going to be able to put together a defense that's just impossible to figure out. Moving on a little bit from the Patriots, who I'm just simply not worried about at this point, because again, there's just until they, if something goes wrong against the Bills and whatever else, they've got the Bills, Jaguars, and Dolphins ahead. Could they lose the Dolphins game? Sure. Could they lose the Bills game? Sure. Are they going to lose the next three? Of course not. They're in the playoffs. 
seeding aside, they're in the playoffs. So I'm just, I can't linger on that too much. Moving on to the, the contender pretender narrative across the league, you know, let's take a look at the Cardinals who lost an insane game to the lions this week. Uh, the Cardinals were without Deandre Hopkins. And it's pretty clear that Kyler Murray has been struggling since he came back. He is just not hundred percent from his injury. Also, you have an unproven coach with Cliff Kingsbury. So they are faltering. They had the defense has not been the same since JJ Watt got hurt. Shocker. But they are a team that should be able to withstand the loss of DeAndre Hopkins and still win a game in Detroit. So that's not really an excuse, right? DeAndre Hopkins hasn't even been their most, most prolific receiver this year. Christian Kirk and AJ Green have been more prolific this season. They've been more consistent this season than DeAndre Hopkins. So at this point, DeAndre Hopkins is a luxury. He should always be a luxury. You can't need him to win games. So yeah, they are, they're struggling. They could be slipping. No one is putting them in an NFC championship game anytime soon until we see how the rest of the season plays out. And they have a pretty difficult schedule left. They play the Colts this upcoming week. Then they play the Cowboys and then they play the Seahawks. Uh, Obviously the Seahawks aren't good, but that's a divisional game. Week 18. Those are always difficult games. The NFC West games are always difficult. We know this. So they have a lot to prove over the next three weeks. The way things have been going, I would not be surprised if somehow they make their way back into the Super Bowl conversation or they fall out of it completely and end up, you know, a crappy wildcard team that everybody is sort of just writing off. The Packers, like I said, um, I don't know how I can, how impressed I can be right now with the Packers defense that let Tyler Huntley nearly beat them. It was a two point conversion away from beating them. We're really, we're going to call them. We're going to say that they are the scariest team in the NFL. No, no. Cowboys offense hasn't been that good the last three weeks. I think they've been really only scoring about 20 points. That's going to be difficult. Once you get to the playoffs, once you get into the playoffs, all games get more defensive. And so it's not a death knell, but you'd like to see them do a little bit better scoring. We know the Rams issues. We, we talked about the Bucks. The Saints are now in the playoff conversation for real with Taysom Hill and a coach that's missed multiple games from COVID. So what are we dealing with here? Everybody who is above 500 and in the playoff picture is a contender. For real. They're for real contenders because this isn't any given Sunday season as much as anyone I've ever watched. And in, in seasons like that, you go back to defense, you go back to fundamentals, you go back to coaching. The Patriots are in a good spot. It puts the, it puts the Packers in a good spot. It puts the Steelers in a weirdly good spot. It puts the Colts in maybe a better spot than they should be. It puts the Rams in a good spot. And of course the Bucks still have Tom Brady and they are the reigning Super Bowl champions. So everybody can keep changing their mind week to week, but I don't, you know, I don't think anything's changing anytime soon in terms of us decide, figuring out that one of these teams is going to definitely be a contender. My friend Sean asked me, uh, you know, do any of these AFC teams have an offense that can go all the way? It seems like everyone has an unproven quarterback or is one dimensional or there's mistakes everywhere. And to that, I say, uh, I think it's a little, you know, overblown right now. There's just a lot between the COVID uh, spikes that are happening and the injury issues that always come up at this time of year and getting yourself in playoff form, this stuff is going to happen. I think every team in the playoff picture 
right now on both sides, uh, but specifically in the AFC, has a chance to end up in the Super Bowl at this point. You know, the Patriots beat the Titans and the Steelers beat the Titans, but the Titans have won both their games against the Colts. The Chiefs have keep struggling against the Chargers. They've lost to the Bills. They lost to the Ravens earlier this year. They've lost to the Titans. The AFC North just keeps beating the shit out of each other. The Dolphins all of a sudden are back in the playoff mix. They've won six games in a row. So I don't think it's sloppy. I just think that this is, again, these are unprecedented times. And I think that this is the way football is when you don't have a true hardcore dynasty dominating the regular season every year. It's exciting. This is what people wanted when they were sick of seeing the Patriots in the Super Bowl every year. And so we're getting what we asked for. Another one of those questions I got was, are the Cardinals really melting down? And I, you know, I addressed it a little bit earlier in my rant. I think that they have a lot to prove. Are they melting down? I mean, they have 10 wins this season. They're in a good spot and they have plenty of talent to make up for some of the issues that they're dealing with are, I don't know that their defense can get back to the level it was playing earlier, earlier in the season with JJ Watt, but they have playmakers. They still have Chandler Jones. They still have Buda Baker and Isaiah Simmons and the guys who've been standout players. And if they can get Deandre Hopkins back and healthy, they've got one of the best receiving trios in the league, plus a young rookie with Rondale Moore and if Kyler gets back on his feet and is able to move the way that we know he can move, then no, I don't think that they're 100% melting down. Cliff Kingsbury remains a mystery. His clock management and his ability to handle tight games at the end, it's still questionable. But you look at a team that talented that was already overlooked and underappreciated heading into the season, and now they've faltered a little bit and everybody's giving up on them. And I think they're giving up on them for the same reason they didn't expect them to be this good or to be at first place in the NFC West to begin with, which is they are an unknown entity. And every team that eventually breaks through was an unknown entity before that happened. The Lions loss was weird. And it is so hard for NFL teams to just get through a season and only with only get one win. I mean, the NFL is still the NFL. The Detroit Lions are still a bunch of professional football players playing for one of the most dedicated fan bases in the league they have absolutely nothing to like root for at this point and they still do they've got a coach who they absolutely love so you know it wasn't weird that they that their win was against the cardinals yeah but is it one of those games that we can look back on and kind of see as maybe potentially a trap game considering what they've been dealing with um and the fact that color murray is struggling health-wise maybe it was, it's still a bad loss. I'm not here to excuse it, but I don't think they're melting down. The other question I got that I've addressed a little bit was whether or not the Patriots can win without Damian Harris. And I think the answer is no. Like I said, I don't think that they can win without a really strong run game. And Damian Harris is a big part of that. Now, can they win if someone can step up and replicate Damian Harris's productivity? Maybe. I mean, if you plug Ramondre Stevenson in and he starts getting the majority of those snaps and they try to plug him in and, and obviously that he's going to be used in a little bit of a different way, but if he could replicate the production and they could bring Brennan Bolden and Jakob Johnson it more into the mix, maybe it starts to get a little tricky though. It starts to get a little tricky trying to, uh, 
convince defenses that you're going to be able to run down their throats without Damian Harris and without having defenses stack the box and pulling some of their defenders forward, Mac's going to struggle again, keeping Mac passing the ball under 35 times is key. He is going to be his best when the offense is going through the run game. He is going to be his best when those tight ends are on the field and threats to both block and receive. He's going to be his best when the opportunities he gets are the right ones and not the ones he needs to create for himself because the offense isn't capable of doing anything else. And that's what he ran into against the Colts. And Frank Reich was prepared for it because they didn't have Damian Harris. I do genuinely think Harris is key to their ability to make a real deep playoff run. Now, do I think they could win two of the next three games without Damian Harris? Sure. I think they could beat the Jaguars and the Dolphins without Damian Harris. I think they could win a wild card round playoff game without Damian Harris. I don't think that they're going to win a divisional round or an AFC championship game without Harris or someone stepping in with his production. Essentially, they cannot win relying on Mac the way they had to on Thursday night. Okay, and finally, before we go, I have to hit on the Ravens and their two-point conversion shit show on Sunday night. Shall we? If you don't know what happened, I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version. The Packers were winning the game 31-24. to The Ravens needed to tie it to send it to overtime. Tyler Huntley and the Ravens score the touchdown. They're able to make it a 31-30 to game. And Harbaugh decides to go for the two-point conversion to win the game rather than the point after attempt to tie it. They failed to convert the two points and the Packers win by one point. And cue the absolute insanity conversation about analytics after the game. Now, the general consensus after the game by people who really understand analytics and the stats people were that what he should have done was gone for the two-point conversion on the previous touchdown that they had scored to bring themselves within seven points. I think they scored that touchdown at about four and a half minutes. They should have gone for it there. And then they had they converted at that point, they would have been able to just score the six points with the touchdown at the end and won the game. It obviously didn't go that way. Now, what came out on Monday was a video of John Harbaugh discussing the two-point conversion attempt, John Harbaugh essentially asked Tyler Huntley and his offense what they wanted to do, if they wanted to go to two or if they wanted to play for overtime. And I'll play you a, a clip of the audio here so you can kind of hear how the conversation went. you want to kick it or go for it? What do you all think? Now, we, we can kick this and go to overtime. We're in good shape. Or we try to win it here, then we just try to keep them out of field goal range. What do you want to do? What does everybody... We can, we, can, we can go into overtime right here, or we can go for it. You want to try it? All right, let's try it. So in case you couldn't hear it, uh, Huntley says, let's effing win this man. And so he decided to tell Coach he wanted to go for it, and Coach took that into consideration, apparently, and that's why they decided to go for it. Here's the problem I have with this. First of all, if this were Lamar Jackson, I'd have no problem. I'd have no problem with John Harbaugh asking what he wanted to do in that situation. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league on, on his legs. He's a former MVP. This is your franchise quarterback. This is a guy you have an extremely special relationship with. I understand. This is not him. Tyler Huntley had a great game. He kept them in it. He gave them that chance to win the game, but he is the backup. He does not have that starting quarterback experience. And it's a lot for a head coach to put that on the quarterback. I really like John Harbaugh. I think he's a great coach. 
I think he's a guy who players really respect and I understand why. And I understand even the instinct to give your players autonomy in these situations. However, you are the guy talking to the dudes on your sideline and in your booth. And you are the guy with that's been looking at all the analytics. You need to make that call so that you own it. So it doesn't come back on them at all, whether it's mentally, emotionally, in the media, whatever. It has to be your decision. That's what the coach is there for. Now, I might sound like a Belichick disciple in this situation, but it's really true that at some point, the structure of the coaching matters. I like that John Harbaugh is aggressive. I like that he will go for two-point conversions to win a game if he feels like they are going to struggle if they lose the coin toss. But in this particular situation, you have Justin Tucker. You know you can make the point after. He's done his job. Huntley has done his job by scoring the touchdown. Let Justin Tucker kick the point after, tie the game. Because at at this stage of the game, going for a two-point conversion, even if you consider it a coin flip, which I don't know what the analytics would say, but let's just say it's a 50-50 chance you convert that. Well, it's a better than 50-50 chance that you're able to go to overtime and either get the first possession or stop the Packers on just a field goal. So you are guaranteeing yourself another possession no matter what, as long as you feel like you could hold the Packers to a field goal. If you don't feel like your team can win in overtime, that means you are betting that the Packers are not only going to win the coin toss to get possession, but that you're incapable of even trying to hold them to three points so that you can get the ball in overtime. That's just a lot of missed opportunity to find out what your team is made of on both sides of the ball, especially as you're struggling down the stretch to make your case to make it into the playoffs and be taken seriously. They are struggling a ton with injuries. This defense needs to know what they can do and what they can't do and what they need to work on. Put them into overtime against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers if you need to and see what they can do. I know how tempting it is to say, we could just win this right now. But on the other side of that, you're saying, do you want to just maybe lose this game right now? No chance at a coin flip, no chance for the defense to get their hands on Aaron Rodgers. This, they had done a good job of double teaming Devontae Adams in the game. So they kind of had a blueprint for what they could potentially do. You're just telling everybody like, I just don't want to bother. And when you're dealing with this much chaos, take the points. And don't put the decision on your backup quarterback who's already done his job. I don't know. I, you know, I, again, I don't like to be super critical of John Harbaugh in these situations because I also really respect how he is with his players and, and the kind of coach that he is. But I think at some point you have to consider that this is a different decision than you would make if you had Lamar Jackson in the game. You don't. And sometimes you need a little luck and that's what the coin flip is for. And that's what for overtime and your defense are for, just in case you don't win the coin flip. There have to be analytics on the chances of you being able to get your hands on the ball in overtime and potentially win the game with a field goal. You have one of the best kickers of all time. You have the best kicker in the league, one of the best kickers of all time. You know if you can stop them once, even if they win the coin test, you stop them once, you have the best kicker. I don't know. That's my rant. That's my rant. I'm going to end the week on that. We got, we hit on a little bit of everything. I know it's kind of manic. That's sometimes that's fun. We got to hit on a bunch of stuff and not linger too long. Cause again, I think we still have a lot to learn over the next three weeks. I will talk to you again, probably a little bit more in depth on what we, what happened with the Patriots and the Colts on Thursday night, a little bit more about the 
overall picture of the AFC and what people are seeing unfold, how they see the last three weeks of the season going, we'll hit on more of that. So for now, I will leave you to enjoy the delayed games on Monday night and Tuesday night. Thank you for joining me. Stay warm. Enjoy your holiday snacks. Enjoy the holiday spirit. Put on your cozy slippers and your cable knit sweaters. Bye.